Well, today we finish this sermon series, Spirit and Truth. I invite your attention to Luke chapter 18. Our approach, our posture as we approach God. There was a grocery store clerk who rode into Ann Landers one day. He noticed that people were buying what he called luxury items with food stamps, and he rode in just to say to Ann Landers, didn't think that was right. And he described luxury items as being birthday cakes and bags of shrimp, stuff like that. Ann Landers published his letter, and then a few weeks later, she started getting messages from other people about that letter. And then she published his responses to his letter, the grocery store clerk. There was a lady who wrote in and said, I did, in fact, buy a bag of shrimp with food stamps, and here's the story. My husband had been working for this factory, this plant, for 15 years. The plant closed. They relocated somewhere else. He lost his job after 15 years. It was their anniversary. I wanted to do something special for him. So I bought a bag of shrimp, made a shrimp casserole. We ate it the night of our anniversary, and then we had it two nights after that. There's another lady who wrote in and said, I did buy a birthday cake with food stamps. Here's why. My daughter... It was her birthday, and all probability was going to be her last birthday. My daughter is facing terminal bone cancer, not expected to live many more weeks, and we wanted her birthday to be special, so I bought her a birthday cake that we could celebrate in all probability her last physical birthday. How many times in life do we jump to conclusions about people without ever walking in their shoes? As you and I think about this message, when my posture is to approach God, let me give you these insights, these questions. Why do people attend church? Why do people approach God? Why does that happen? Let me walk through that with you. I'm going to give you four words here briefly as we do that. Number one is the word tradition. We do it because it's tradition. It's what we've always done. We were raised to do this. I'm in church because I was raised to do that. It's the right thing to do. It's what's expected of me. So many times we're in church, we approach God because it's something out of tradition for you and me. Not meaning it's bad, it's just what we were raised to do and it's what we've continued to do in life. Number two is the word need. Many times we find ourselves in church, we find ourselves seeking God, approaching Him because there's a need in life and you may be here this morning. You may be watching for the first time because there's a need in your life. You describe it as a physical need. It may be a relational need. could be financial. could be mental in your life. could be spiritual. But something is missing in your life. And you say, I've got to do something different, so let me give church a try. Or let me seek God or approach Him and see if there's any help for my life. That's why you do that. Third word is the word recognition. Many people attend church or they do religious things because of recognition. And they feel like because of recognition, it will increase my influence with people. So as a result of that, I'm going to attend church. I'm going to do religious things and seeking God. It's going to help me with having influence with other people in life or in the community. And the fourth word is the word surrender. You come to church. You approach God because you want to surrender your life to him. You want your relationship with him to go to another level. And so you come before him 
and to say, Lord, I'm going to open my life, everything I have, I'm going to surrender that to you because I want you to be first in my life. Seek first the kingdom of God. And Lord, I'm here today to do that. I'm surrendering and seeking you, and I want my posture to be that that will please you because I want to make sure I have a surrendered life for you today. I pray this morning as kids, students, adults, I pray today that we come before our Heavenly Father who loves you and me and gave his one and only son for us. I pray that we come before him with surrendered lives today. I'm going to call you here in a few moments to make a personal decision for Christ in the room and those who are online. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to make a decision in obedience to him. I pray this will be the day that you say yes to him and I pray to see many, many decisions for Jesus as a result of the preaching of his word and the work of the Holy Spirit in this room. Now, as I think about Luke chapter 18, I think about the gospel of Luke. This is a parable. It's a, it's a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. Jesus told many, many parables. One of the things we know from the word of God, specifically the gospel of Luke, Jesus was very good at telling stories, but also he was very good at using contrast. For example, he talked about two sons in the Gospel of Luke. He also talked about an unjust judge and a loving father. He also talked about, again, different aspects of life, about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. He used contrast a lot. In this story today, he's talking about a Pharisee and he's talking about a tax collector. One of the things I encourage you to write down somewhere on your outline there, these words. In this story, you're going to see two men... You're going to hear two prayers, and you're going to see two destinies. Now, there are going to be two men who are going to have a conversation with the Lord. Uh, there, there are going to be two prayers that are going to be shared, and there are two different destinies we're going to see in this parable that Jesus is talking about. And so when we think about this story, it's about approach. How do you approach God? Many times, people aren't seeing their lives changed because they're approaching God with the wrong posture. It's more about themselves rather than God. But when you and I come before him with a surrendered heart and say, God, everything is about you, changes everything. And I just want to encourage us in the room today to make sure that our posture is right as we come before God because come with a surrendered life. Come with a heart that desires to hear from him and obey him and to say, God, I want to be like the tax collector, not the Pharisee. I should have walked through this. Number one, hear God's warning. God's going to give us a warning in this parable, in this story, in reference to the Pharisee's life. One thing, he's talking about this Pharisee, somebody who was accustomed to going to the temple. He knew what it was like to worship, knew what it was like to give money, knew all those religious duties. He knew that very, very well. He's going to give us a warning about his life. It's like the little fifth grade girl was in school one day, and they were going through a week, they were giving out awards. And so on, on Monday, they were giving out the award. Who was the prettiest girl in the class, and she won the award. She came home and she came home and she was so excited. She told her mother, I won the award today, prettiest girl in the class. Tuesday came, she goes back to school to give out an award that day, the most likely to succeed. She wins that award. She goes home so excited to tell her mother, I won the award today, most likely to succeed. Third day, Wednesday comes, she goes to class. She wins the award again. This award is the one who is the most popular person in class. She won that again, came home super, super excited. 
Thursday, she goes to school. The award now, she wins the award. She comes home. She's severely disappointed. Her mother says, I'm so sorry you didn't win the award. She said, no, I did. And the mother said, what was the award? I got voted the most arrogant person in the class. The Pharisee, as we look at this text, the Bible says, he told him this parable. Again, he's communicating a story, heavily meaning but with earthly relevance to it because he wanted them to hear something from this to some who trusted in themselves and that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. I wonder how many people here today, wonder how many people are watching, how many of us are trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting the Lord Jesus. We're not trusting his death, burial, and resurrection. We're trusting in ourselves. When you look at this Pharisee, here was somebody who was an opponent of Jesus. This Pharisee would have been someone who was very good at rules and regulations. The Pharisee would have been this guy, and we can give these insights about his life. He was someone who was, a, he attended church. He went to the temple again and again and again. He was customary that he would go to the temple. He was someone who was a Bible student. If you looked at his Bible, it would have been worn and well used because he was studying the Word on a consistent basis. He probably underlined things. He made notes in there, diagrams, all this other stuff. He was a student of the Bible. He was also a generous giver. He knew what it was like to give and support what was going on in the temple. He was a generous contributor to the work of God. But he was also someone who lived a religious lifestyle. He would do religious things. He would fast. He would give. He would pray. He would do all those things. But here's the interesting part of his life. And here's the warning. When you look at what's happening in Luke chapter 18, the focus of his life was not God. It was on himself. Listen to what he said. The Bible goes on to say, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself. What that means in this text is he's standing front and center. He wants all the attention to be on him. So he's standing by himself and it says he prayed. The Greek text simply says he prayed to himself. It's all about the Pharisee here. It's not about God. It's not about the tax collector. It's all about himself. He's standing front and center, all the attention being on him. He's praying, but he's praying to himself. And then he says, look how many eyes you see, personal pronouns in this. And he starts saying, God, I thank you that I am not like. And he goes through all this other stuff. I do this and I do this. It's all about him. Let me ask you this morning. I wonder, do the shoes of the Pharisee fit any of us? It's just all about us. It's all about me. And when we pray, it's not about who God is. It's not about the greatness of God. It's not about what God desires. Me to surrender my life, give him everything. It's not about that. It's about what I desire, what I like. It's about me. God, look who I am. I want to be front and center. That's a warning for you and me because when you and I pray, it's not about you and me, it's about God. We want to be obedient to him and surrender to him. Our posture makes a difference. And so when we come before him as our posture, one to say, God, you are worthy. Endless praise goes to you or God, it's about me. For the Pharisee, it was all about him. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Now, when you look at this, look at these two things I want you to fill in. The temptation is to compare ourselves with others. If you're not careful in life, the temptation is to compare yourself with other people. Look at the Pharisee. What did he say? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, front and center, in the spotlight, he prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. 
And so what is he? He's comparing himself to other people. He starts calling them out extortioners, those who are robbers, who steal from other people. He talks about the unjust, those who are evildoers. I've got them grateful. I'm not like them. Adulterers, those who are unfaithful in relationships. God, I thank you that I'm not like any of those people. So he's praying about himself. I'm not somebody who's going to rob people. I'm not going to do evil. I'm not going to be unfaithful in relationships. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And then if that's not enough, standing front and center, he notices over to the edge that there's a guy that's unusual for him to even be there because he wouldn't have really been welcome in the temple because he cheated people as a tax collector. But he is there and he sees this tax collector somewhere out of the corner of his eye and he even says this, God, I thank you. I'm not like even this tax collector. It's all about himself. He's just comparing himself with other people. How many of us, when it comes to being right with God, we literally do the same thing? God, I thank you I'm not like other people. God, I so am thankful I'm not like the guy on death row. I didn't do any of those things. God, I thank you I'm not like the person who cheated on his or her spouse. I've been faithful in my relationships. And God, I thank you I'm not like the person who embezzled money from the church or the company. I haven't done any of those things. I've lived a very good life. I thank you I'm not like those people. And then if we're not careful, we come to somewhere like today and we look at seeing somebody in another section up in the balcony and say, God, I thank you I'm not even like him or her. The danger is, the temptation is, compare ourselves with others. But please understand, from the Pharisee's life, but all from the Word of God, you can live a good, good life and still die lost in the midst of your goodness. Because you're not right with God based upon your goodness. You're not right with God because you're better than someone else. The temptation is to compare ourselves with others. I just guard, challenge you, don't compare yourselves with other people. We'll get more of that in a moment. Look at number two. The sin is to think Jesus isn't enough. The Pharisee standing front and center. God, I think I'm not like these other people. And he goes through this list, and even like this tax collector. And then what does he say? He goes into that. He said, why? Because I fast twice a week. I mean, he's way beyond what the requirement was. He, he's exceeding that. And then he says, what? I give a tithe of all that I get. Not just what I earn, but all that I get. So God, I'm fasting, I'm giving, I'm doing all this. What is he saying? He's ultimately saying Jesus isn't enough. We still live in a day where there are people, there are, there are groups out there who are trying to convince you and me that it's Jesus plus something else. If you're going to go to heaven, it's Jesus plus good works. If you're going to heaven, it's Jesus plus living a religious life. It's Jesus plus something else. I promise you from the word of God, it is Jesus and Jesus alone to be saved. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. Listen, we may do other things after we come to Christ and obey him, but salvation, Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. It is Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation and to go to heaven. So as we look at that, 
I just encourage you to sin is to think Jesus isn't enough. Make sure you understand baptism is important. Observing the Lord's Supper is important. Living a godly Christian life is important. But those things will not get you saved. Only Jesus Christ will save you when you realize that you have sinned against him. He died on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. Jesus Christ is victorious over death in the grave. He is alive and he is convicting you of your sin through the Holy Spirit. And you surrender your life and give your life to Jesus that is the way to be saved and so I want to ask you today when you think about your life have you come to that place where you're not trusting in yourself you don't have contempt on other people you're not comparing yourselves to other people you're not saying it's Jesus plus something else you have come to that place in your life as Jesus and Jesus alone to be saved and you've turned from your sin and put your trust in Christ have you given your heart and life to him is your posture what God desires in your walk with him so that's the warning part of that look at the second part of this confess God's conviction we think about the Pharisee, but now we're going to think about a guy by the name, he's a tax collector. What an interesting position, worked for the Roman government, cheated a lot of people, took advantage of people, made the Roman uh, leaders a lot of money, but made himself a lot of money as well. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy, filthy rich, took advantage of a lot of people, mistreated people. And so when you look at this tax collector, here's a great challenge for us. As we think about confess God's conviction, here's what I mean by that. It's important for us in life that we be real and honest and personal with God, but also with other people. Now I realize sometimes in the personal life with other people, it's hard to do that because we're looking to say, if I'm going to be real, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be personal with somebody. How do I do that? Because I don't know who to trust. If I share with this person, is he or she going to be confidential? I know it's tough for us to do. But here's this tax collector coming before God. He's going to be real, he's going to be honest, and he's going to be personal. So let me ask you in your life, when it comes to God, are you real with him? Are you honest with him? And are you personal with him? You can write this reference down, Psalm 13. When you think about this psalm, the psalm of David uh, was David a man after God's own heart? Yes, that's what the Bible says. Was he real? Was he honest? Was he personal with God? Absolutely. Psalm 13, here's what David started asking these questions to God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you ever asked God that question in your, in your walk with him? God, have you just forgotten about me? You answer everyone else's prayer, but what about, what about me? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever asked God that? God, why is your face shining on those people but not on my life? He goes on to say, how long must I take counsel in my soul, have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How many of us have been that honest, that real, that personal with Almighty God? The tax collector is going to come before God here in Luke 18. And he's going to have a different posture than the Pharisee did. The Pharisee standing front and center, all the attention on himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like all these other people. Even this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give a tithe on everything that I get. God, look how great I am in life. And then look at the tax collector. The Bible says the tax collector, but the tax collector standing far off. He's not front and center. He is way over to the edge. He did not consider himself even worthy to be in the place, much less being front and center. He's standing afar off. And the Bible says not only is he standing far off, but he goes on to say, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. 
He didn't even feel worthy to look up and even try to even see God in life. Because he's so broken and convicted over the sin in his life. He would beat his breast and he he would call out and say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. What an incredible posture before God. Uh, let, Let me give you these truths. Number one, consider how the Holy Spirit works. How's the Holy Spirit work in the life of this tax collector, but in our lives? This tax collector was under conviction of his life and his soul. He, he wouldn't even draw near. He's standing afar off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to God into heaven. He's beating his breast. He's confessing his sin. He is under the conviction of God. When's the last time you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of God in your life? I can say as your pastor, I know what it's like to experience conviction because when I was lost as a young boy, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my lostness and my need to be saved. I thank God the Holy Spirit convicted me that I was lost and needed a Savior and His name is Jesus. When I surrendered my life into the gospel ministry, that was not a career choice for me. It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm calling you to be a gospel minister, a preacher of the word, to be a pastor. I'm calling you. The Holy Spirit convicted me, and I desire to obey the leadership and the call of God on my life. I think about times that I've been disobedient to the Lord. I am grateful the disciplined hand of God has been on my life. When I've had times of disobedience because the Holy Spirit convicted me, you did not obey the leadership of the Lord. I've been convicted and I confess my sin and said, God, I don't want to live disobedient. I want to live obedient to you. I know what it's like to face conviction when you say something the wrong way. It just doesn't come out right and it hurts somebody else in some way to be convicted by the Holy Spirit to say, you should not have said that. You should not have said it that way. You need to confess that and get that right. I totally understand the conviction of the Holy Spirit in life. And so I ask you today, how is the Holy Spirit convicting you in your life? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you that you're lost, you need to be saved? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you that you need to be baptized? Is the Holy Spirit of God convicting you of some sin in your life? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you that you're not living obedient to Him? How is the Holy Spirit at work in your life? And here we see this tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, just beat his breast, confessing that he was a sinner. That is the right posture to have before God. Number two, see ourselves as God sees us. As we look at this text and we understand this tax collector, he saw himself as God would see him. You say, what in the world does that mean? He saw himself as a sinner. He needed forgiveness. He needed God's grace and mercy in his life. He saw himself that way. See, here's one of the things the Pharisee did not see himself. He saw himself better than everybody else. I thank you I'm not like extortioners, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. I'm not like them at all. But the tax collector said, no, no, no. I see myself as God sees me, and God sees me as someone who's sinful. I need to be forgiven and have a new beginning in life. How do you see yourself? Again, do the shoes of the Pharisee fit any of us? Do the shoes of the tax collector fit any of us here today? It's like somebody goes to the doctor. And you go to the doctor and you only see yourself. You go to the doctor and you, you sit in the waiting room. Finally, they call your name. You go back to the exam room and you're getting ready. They tell you to put on this robe and that's embarrassing enough as itself. And so you're sitting there waiting for the doctor to come in. And finally, the doc comes in and says, how are things going in your life? And you say, listen, I'm doing great. 
doing great. I mean, my, my energy is great. My muscle tone is amazing. My digestive system is working incredible. Everything is going great. But, Doc, so you'll know, there's some people in the waiting room. They're in bad, bad shape. They're coming in soon. But as for me, I'm doing really, really well. And then what does the doctor say? Won't you lie down on the table? Let me check things out for you for a few minutes. And then the doctor, he or she starts poking around and starts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting, that's interesting. You think, well, Doc, what's interesting? Well, probably nothing, but we'll check it out and make sure, just to make sure we're, everybody, everything's good, everything's safe. And then the doctor looks at him and says, now, you, you thought everything was going great, right? Do you realize you have high blood pressure? Do you realize you've got diabetes? Do you realize you've got all these other physical ailments? You walked in thinking you were doing good, but when you see yourself as a doctor sees you, it's not going so well. Improvements in your life need to happen. The tax collector saw himself as God saw him. God, I have sinned against you. Isaiah, the year that King Uzziah died, finds himself in the temple of God, seeing the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. He saw God. And when he saw God, what did he say? God, look how great I am. God, I thank you I'm not like all these other people around me. God, I thank you that I'm living this righteous, wonderful life. No, he said, God, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He saw himself as God saw him. That's why I encourage you, don't compare yourselves to other people. See yourself as God sees you. So what, when God sees you, what does he see? That's exactly what the tax collector did. Number three, confess our helpless condition. That's why the tax collector is coming before God, just confessing, God, I'm just beating my breast. It's a sign of confession. God, I'm not even worthy to be here. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. I'm just confessing, God, that my helpless condition, I can't do anything about my situation. There are some people today, you can walk out of this service. You can log off whatever you're watching on. You can walk off and log off free by, by doing this. God, I, I just need help in life. God, I can't handle this addiction on my own strength. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever the addiction may be, God is getting the best of me in life, and I am desperate for your help. There are other people who are saying, God, the stress of trying to live up to everyone else's expectations wearing me out. And God, I can't take this stress in my life anymore. I am desperate for your help. God, trying to fake it in life, telling everyone life's going great when on the inside my life is coming apart. God, I can't keep living this double life. I am desperate for your touch on my life. And God, I find myself empty and spiritually lonely and, and afraid and God I can't keep living with a spiritual emptiness in my life I'm desperate for your touch and help in my life that's how God works you confess your helpless condition to him that you need the touch of God on your life number four ask God to change our lives what did this tax collector do he said oh God have mercy on me a sinner he's asking God to change his life and I promise you, God will change your life. He'll, he'll, he'll give you a brand new beginning, a brand new start. Everything about your life can be different. But why do so many people go through life and their lives never spiritually change? Here's why. For one, they've never been willing to admit that they need to change. 
I'm just encouraging you, if your life is a mess and your life needs to change, I just encourage you, admit that to God to say, God, I can't keep going through life like this. I need change in my life. Sometimes people's lives don't change because they've never been willing to obey what God asked them to do in the first place. Here's what God asks you to do. Give your life to Jesus. Follow him in baptism. Join the fellowship of the church. Surrender your life obedience unto me and you've not been willing to do that as a result your life is not changing because of that come before him and just say god will you change my life god have mercy on me someone who is a sinner that's the right posture then let me give you number three experience god's grace as we look at this text we think about the grace of god his grace is amazing. His grace is marvelous. As we think about this story, here this tax collector is getting ready to experience the amazing grace of God, not the Pharisee, but the tax collector, because God's going to change his life. That's exactly what the text says. It says, what, who went home justified? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector went home justified because he said, God, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness and he received the grace of God in his life. Same thing can happen in your life. Let me give you these three truths I want you to fill in. Number one, prepare for intense spiritual opposition. Here's what I know, that even in Baptist circles, not everybody believes Jesus is the only way to go to heaven. And if you're going to be faithful to Jesus, going to be faithful to the word of God, you need to prepare for intense spiritual opposition. When you say there is no other way unto heaven given to men by which Jesus may be saved, but only Jesus, you're going to face opposition when you say it's Jesus and Jesus alone. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when you say again, Jesus Christ, not plus something else, Jesus Christ alone, you need to be ready for spiritual opposition. But listen, we need to be faithful to God's word, even if that means opposition comes our way. Be faithful to him. Number two, realize that self-effort is not enough. It's not enough to be saved. You're not going to be saved by performance. God, I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to do things. I'll do religious things. That's not going to get you to heaven. You and I are not saved by performance. We're saved by turning from our sin and trusting Jesus Christ to be our Savior. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. You and I are not saved by performance. The truth of the matter is this. If you and I could be saved by performance, why did Jesus Christ die on a cross? Why did Almighty God send His only begotten Son to a cross if you could be saved by living a good life, doing religious duties based on performance? Listen, God didn't make a mistake when He sent His only begotten Son to a cross because you cannot be saved by self-effort or performance. Only by the grace of God in Jesus Christ will you be saved. And so you just need to understand that. You're not going to be saved by self-effort. You're going to be saved because of the grace of God. Again, here's what people often look at. They compare themselves to other people to say, listen, I may not go to church. I may not give money. I may not read my Bible, but I'm better than so many other people in life. I mean, I work hard. I take care of my family. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I'm not unfaithful. I do all these things right. Surely a good and compassionate God would not send me to hell based on how I live my life. But please understand, you're not saved by performance or self-effort. 
You're saved by the grace of God. I say that again and again. You're saved because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then number three, accept God's invitation to come to him. tax collector had an invitation to come to him. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And his life was changed. God's inviting you and me to come to him just as we are. Here's what I mean by that. When I think about the invitation of God to you and me, here's how amazing the love of God is. The love of God, he loves those people who are on death row. He loves those people who have been unfaithful in relationships. He loves people who have embezzled, cheated, stolen, whatever it may be. He loves people who have messed up in life. He loves people who are tired in life. Will you come to him, accept his invitation to change your life? Now, here's what I want to focus on for just a moment. I have two chairs here. One of these chairs I'm calling the works chair. And I wonder how many people in this room and how many people are watching. When it comes to life and you think about going to heaven, how are you going to go to heaven when you die? It's based on you're sitting in the works chair. You're sitting in this chair trusting your goodness. God, I'm better than all these other people. I'm living a good life. I'm doing religious things. I'm doing all these things. Look at my life. Surely God would not send me to torment based on how I'm living my life. Please understand again, do not trust performance. Do not trust self-effort. It is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. I just want to give you a warning. You can sit in this works chair and live a good life and die lost outside of Christ. Because you're not saved by good works. How many people in this room, how many people are watching? Somebody asks you, when you die, will you spend eternity in heaven? And you would say, I hope so, I think so, maybe. And you say, why? Well, I'm living a good life. I'm telling you, we live in a culture where there are multitudes of people who are trying to live life and hoping for heaven based on the works chair. Has nothing to do with the gospel has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, has everything to do with how I'm living my life. But I want to say again, you can, you can live a good life and die lost outside of Christ. How many today are in the grace chair? I think God's a young boy. I found myself in the grace chair. Sitting on our basement steps, God, I, I'm lost the Holy Spirit's convicted me. I need to be saved. I can't save myself as a young boy. As much as I know, God, I just ask you through Jesus to save me and to forgive me. And I came up from those basement steps a new person in Christ because the grace of God in Jesus Christ saved me as a young boy. And the good news is I'll never be lost again because of the amazing grace of Almighty God. And how many of you look at your life today and you can go back to a very defining moment in your life and say, here's when I found myself in the grace chair and the grace of God saved me as a young boy, as a young girl, as an adult man, an adult woman. The grace of God saved me. That is the right posture to have. And here's what I want to appeal to you. I want to appeal to you with everything I have this morning. If you are in the works chair, and you hope you're going to heaven. Maybe you're going to heaven. You think it may work out because of the life you're living and living a good life, doing religious things, 
treating people kind. You're better than all these other people. I want to encourage you. I plead with you this morning. Get up out of the the works chair. Go to the grace chair. Surrender your life and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need to be forgiven. Only in Jesus Christ will I be saved. Get in God's grace chair and let him change your life today, but for all eternity, forever and forever and forever. That's the grace of God in your life. And I plead with you so much that if you're here today, you're in the, in the works chair, you need to get in the grace chair. Listen, don't leave this earth. Don't log off without surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He will save you today just as you are. He will save you. That's how amazing the grace of God is. So I want to ask you, you may be a child You may be a student, you may be somebody, an adult, you may be even a senior adult, and you're living your life in the works chair, but you realize the works chair will never get you to heaven. You need to get up out of that chair, get in the grace chair, and ask Almighty God to save you and forgive you. Would you give your life to Jesus right now here in the next few moments? So I want us to bow our heads in this room. Here's the posture that comes to God. As God, I've sinned against you. I know Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and I need to be forgiven. That's the posture to come to him. That's what worship is about. So in this room, those who are watching, I want to encourage you right now. If you're, if you're living your life in the works chair, and you realize today because the Holy Spirit's convicting you that if you die today, you'll die lost outside of Christ. And you need to get in the grace chair because only Jesus Christ will save you. There's no other name to be saved other than his name. I just want to encourage you from your heart to God's heart. Will you just pray this prayer? Oh, God, I've sinned against you. God, I need to be forgiven today. Thank you that Jesus went to a cross. Thank you he shed his blood. And thank you, he's victorious over death and the grave. Thank you for extending an invitation to me. Thank you for your amazing grace that will change my life. And Jesus, at this very moment, I confess my sin. I acknowledge I need a relationship with you. And I invite you to forgive me and to change my life and to be my Savior in life. You can pray a prayer something like that. You can come forward in this invitation. You can respond to us by whatever platform you're watching on. And God, also, I just pray today for people as well that there will be freedom in this room, that there are believers who need to be obedient to you, that this will be a day again, that they will step out and be obedient for baptism or church membership or Christian fellowship. And God, I just want you to change the hearts and lives of people in this room, that our posture will be what you desire it to be. So Father, right now I pray, just as we are, that we will come to you, broken, confused, worried, troubled, But we'll come today and experience life change in Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray for people to be saved. I pray for people to be obedient. And thank you, Lord, that we desire to be like the tax collector and not the Pharisee. Because, God, we need you today. And thank you that we can come to you just as we are. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.